0: We've been gone for a couple of weeks, and uh, while we were gone, something exciting happened, and I have a picture to show you. Um, Man, fantastic night, or a fantastic evening. Uh, Kedrick, so on your left over there are Christy's parents, and then our daughter Madeline with her husband Ben. Some of you maybe don't know our adult children. In the middle is our oldest, our son Kedrick, and now his wife Maddie. So our daughter, Madeline, and his wife, Maddie. So if you ever get confused, you won't be alone. And then there's Christy and I, and then Micaiah, who is, I look at this picture, is almost as tall as me, but she's probably wearing big heels, I think. So, uh, and then my parents are on the other side over here, and uh, we had a fantastic time. And then enjoyed the week off just to relax, refresh, get some things done around my house. That needed to be done, and uh, then we were in Sioux Falls last weekend, and uh, now here we are. We're back with you guys, and it's always good to get away, uh, but it's always good to come back and to be back home. And so when I was with you last, we were tying up our series called The Journey, and we were looking forward, because even though we're tying up that series, we don't stop the journey. And I hope one of the biggest takeaways that you have from that whole series is that it's about progress, not perfection. It's about progress, not perfection. I mean, we are on a journey, individually, corporately. Like, this is, it's just, it's not going to end. We just keep moving forward, and that's what we've been talking about. Sanctification is the word, the big word, the, the religious word that we use to talk about that. That's the process where we take what Jesus has done internally, and it starts to show up outside, okay? And I hope that you allow space for other people to be sanctified, meaning I hope that you don't expect your kids, your spouse, your coworkers, other members of this church, even me, to just be totally sanctified already. Hopefully, you allow space for people to to fail. The Bible says, make allowance for each other's faults. I hope you make space for yourself to fail. You're on a journey, and none of us is going to do this perfectly. It's okay to fall down, it's just we get back up and we keep moving forward. We talked about the messy middle, we talked about rethinking opposition. Um, in my last weeks with you. Then Rochelle Hofer came, and if you missed it, it is on our our Facebook page. It's not on our podcast yet, um, but it is on our Facebook page called The Midnight Mission, Uh, the challenge of staying on mission in the face of opposition, in the face of devastation. And I loved this. I have quoted her several times and thanked her for this, that even when prison doors open, it doesn't always mean we should escape. We need to make sure we're staying on mission. I Ah, oh, such a great word. To think like a missionary. Like, why did those prison doors just open? I mean, the obvious thing is I'm supposed to get out. In fact, Peter, the doors opened for him and he, he went out. The angel let him out. So I'm not saying you don't always go out but we just got to make sure we're always thinking like we're on mission. Then Thaddeus did a great job last week about living a great life. I love that quote. He brought it back about stacking those days of obedience on top of each other. Like bricks, we're building a wall. Um, and sometimes I think when we, when we make a mistake or when we fail, we imagine like the, the bricks crumbled. Um, but I think if we make a mistake and we fail and we repent, and like we're honest before the Lord, and we get back up, and we just keep moving, I actually think that builds the wall better, faster, bigger than when we did it right. I mean, I don't know. That, I, I bet I could prove it biblically. Um, so I don't know. I, maybe like the Apostle Paul, I think this is the Lord, but I don't know. Now, I am not encouraging you to fail <laughs> so that you get the wall built faster, but I'm just saying in our, our failures, in our weakness, He is strong. Like, he can do so much more through us if we just let him. Um, And then the seed of greatness is dissatisfaction. Like, as I was listening to these sermons, I'm like, wow, this is going to be good, because today I want to talk about what what I call staying power. Staying power. Um, This isn't like a biblical term. It's a biblical concept, And so, we as human beings, I think, tend to choose the path of least resistance. We don't like opposition. We don't like resistance. And so, anytime a better path opens up, like when the prison doors open, we're like, oh, I get to go out. Eh, not always. Sometimes we need to stay put in the prison, even with the doors open, which is weird, because one time I preached about where the doors are open, and we're all staying put, and we need to be getting out, but that's a different sermon for a different day, but there are things in our lives sometimes that have to be endured. Possibly what Paul refers to as a thorn in the flesh might be something that just need to be endured. And God's grace is sufficient for us in that time. Um, Jesus and Peter in Matthew chapter 16, if you remember the story from there, it's, it's not on the screen, but the story is, who do, you, who do people say I am? Well, Peter chimes in, you're the Christ, the Son of God. Blessed are you, Peter. This has not been revealed to you by man, this is by God. Um, then he begins to tell them, "Hey, I'm going to be going to Jerusalem. I'm going to get arrested, I'm going to get crucified, I'm going to get killed, but I'm going to rise again in three days. And Peter's like, Haha, no, you're not." <laughs> and oh, how quickly? Jesus looks at him and says, "Get behind me, Satan! You don't have things. You don't have the things of God in mind. You have the things of man in mind." Now, Peter was not possessed by Satan. He was not calling Peter Satan. Um, I actually used that phrase once, and someone like punched me when I, I'm like, "I didn't mean you were Satan. I meant what you just said. I didn't want to like believe that." <laughs> and so, so I don't use this phrase on people. They don't like it. Um, but the idea is that. Peter was like, no, suffering, you're not going to suffer and die. That's not right. And Jesus is like, "Mm, really, that's kingdom, Peter. You've got to understand. In fact, we think maybe that was just for Jesus. But in Acts 21, also not on the screen, there's a story of the apostle Paul. And a guy named Agabus comes as Paul's going to Jerusalem. And he ties up his hands. And he's like, you know, prophesying over him that this is what's going to happen to you in Jerusalem. I mean, isn't that a word of prophecy right there? I mean, hey, prophetic person. I need a word from the Lord. Okay, put your hands together, wrap a belt around you. You're about to be put in prison. Praise the Lord for that word. Did you, has anyone ever been in a prophetic line and that's the word you got? No, you don't. Because we all get these good words that, oh yeah, God's going to bless you and he's going to make you like leader over thousands. And not that those words aren't accurate, but we don't understand. There are times where eh, the word ought to be, no, you're about to suffer. What? What? I'm about to suffer. Haven't I suffered enough? And Paul looks at the crowd in Acts 21, and he's like, Why are you weeping? I'm ready to die. The Holy Spirit has revealed to me every city I go in, what awaits me is persecution. Now, I don't know about you, but if the Holy Spirit revealed to you every city you go to as a missionary, you're going to face persecution, how many of us would sign up? And yet this is the call of the kingdom. And we need to count the cost. Because this is very countercultural to be self-sacrificing and self-denying and really ready to to stay. The definition of staying power. Now, this isn't a Greek word, Hebrew word, biblical word. This is just a human phrase, English phrase, English definition. I wanted to clarify. is the ability to maintain an activity or commitment despite fatigue or difficulty. It's stamina. So that may not be in the Bible that way, but how many of you believe that concept is there? And I think as a church, as individuals, as followers of Christ in the last days, what we need is staying power. In Proverbs chapter 24, there are two verses that come to mind really quick when I think about staying power. These are on the screen. Proverbs 24, 16, Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. It doesn't mean if you fall eight times, you're in trouble. Seven is just like completion. Like no matter how many times you fall, you rise again. But for the wicked, if they stumble, they stumble when calamity strikes. Like when there's opposition, when there's difficulty, the wicked don't have staying power. But the people of God do. Oh, another one, Daniel 11.32, that's not on the screen. The people who know their God will stand firm and resist him and do exploits. Man, that's some good stuff right there. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5. If you've raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in the safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? J.R. Miller wrote it this way. Success depends upon staying power. The reason for failure in most cases is lack of perseverance. And so this is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this idea of staying power. And I want you to stay with me um, because, as always, we're just going to take a little journey. Uh, I want to take you back to a screen that Lynn and Holly Lapka, if you remember, they were here last January. They were here and they they taught us on something called... Pardez. Pardez is a Jewish way of understanding parables, understanding stories and scriptures in the scripture. Um, And I want to let you know, Holly and Lynn Lapka, Lynn and Holly Lapka, will be here again um, January 6th and 7th this year. So all day, Saturday, January the 6th, we'll be at the downtown office. He'll do some teaching. Uh, He'll teach Some more of what he taught us the last time. He'll build on it, and uh, then he'll be here in the Sunday morning service on the 7th, and then again Sunday night down there on the 7th. So when they taught on Pardes, what this means is that every parable has a literal meaning, a Peshat level, surface level uh, meaning to it. Then there are what we would call remez. Remez is the word hint. Every parable of Jesus has hints in it. What he's doing is he's pointing back to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. He's using his parable to draw out some, something from the Hebrew Scriptures. So then we move on to the drosh. The drosh would be the application of the parable. Um, there's not just one application. There can be multiple applications. There can be layered applications when you start studying the parables. I promise you, you could study the Scripture every day of your life, 24-7, for 100 years and never reach the end. Uh, there is stuff to be mined out of this book that you and I have yet to even scratch the surface of. So you, you cannot exhaust what is in here. Um, and then there's something called sowed. And sowed is mystery. Sowed is something that you can't be taught. It's like a revelation that comes from God. Now, Sod makes us a little nervous because the moment someone says, well, the Lord told me. Uh, It's really hard to argue with what the Lord told me. But sowed should always be able to be confirmed by this book. It should not contradict this book. So if you think God has given you some mystery and it contradicts what he's already given us here, it's not from God. It's just, that's pretty easy to to discover. It's also good to run your sowed by your community. Uh Because when we do things in community, it keeps us from getting a little bit off track. And so Peter's confession of Christ would be sowed. He, who do people say I am? And so they're all, well, you're Elijah, you're this, you're that. You're the Christ, the Son of God. That is sowed right there. You didn't get that from anywhere else. You got that from my father. That's what we're talking about when we go to sow. So I want to go to Matthew 13. Matthew 13 is the parable of the soils. I actually did a teaching on this back in June of 2021. There's a handout that goes with it, If because uh, I'm going to... St- I'm going to go through it a little bit different today. Um, And so I'm going to hit on some things, but not camp on them. So if you're like, hey, I want more information on that. Well, go back to June 2021 and and watch the podcast or pick up the the handout or do your own study. It's 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 all great. But in Matthew 13, Jesus tells the story. Guy goes out, scatter seed, path, rocky soil, thorny soil, good soil, blah, blah, blah. Verse 10, here's where we're going to pick up. The disciples came and asked him, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Now, it's not uncommon for rabbis to teach in parables to their disciples. But they're asking, why do you talk to the crowds? Like the crowds don't have the tools to do this. They maybe don't know the scriptures as well. Why are you telling them these things in parables? And he says this, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. That just sounds a little odd, doesn't it? I mean, what's going on here, Jesus? You don't want them in the kingdom? Are you picking who gets to come in? Whoever has will be given more, and they will have abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. See, it's not getting better, is it? I mean, it's almost like the crowds are being brushed off. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their ears, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. So it sounds like Jesus is saying, you know, I don't want the crowds. I only want you guys. But you have to understand... What he's saying is, I want them to come to me. Like, I've given them enough to recognize who I am, and I want them to want it. Like, I'm not interested in building a mass army. I'm interested in people recognizing the kingdom is there. I want that. Okay, Jesus called 12 apostles to follow him. But have you ever noticed that there were more than 12 that followed him? There were. There were all kinds of people that came up to him and said, hey, I want to follow you. And he was like, you want to follow me? Great. Well, let me go bury my dead. Well, No, 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 no. Let the dead bury their dead. Follow me. That guy went away sad. I mean, there were people that came and wanted to follow. Remember the crowds in John 6. Hey, and Jesus is like, no, you're following me because I gave you bread. But here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Wow many of the crowds left him and no longer followed him. And and he turns to his 12 and says, do you want to leave too? And Peter's like, well, we don't understand what you just said, but we know that you're the Christ, so we're here. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, I want people that want it. I want people that are going to say, you know what? I don't understand everything, I don't, uh, there's chaos all around, but I'm going to keep digging. So when we look at this parable of the, the soils, not the parable of the sower, because the, uh, the point is it's about the soils and not the seed. This parable is all about us making sure we pay attention to how we listen. What are we doing with what we have? Again, it's not about perfection, but it's about the journey. It's about the process. It's about progress. Mark tells us that this parable is a foundational parable. If you understand this, you're going to understand the kingdom. If you don't understand this, you won't understand anything else in the kingdom. It's all about what you do with what you hear. Now, you may be confused by what you hear, but do you, do you in your confusion, just say, eh, God will sort it out. Or in your confusion, do you say, God, what does that mean? Like, how do I apply this? Are you starting to dig into this book? Or is, you know, well, you know, I just need a little verse to get me by today. This is what Jesus is doing to the crowds right here. So the remez, I put this on the screen. You want to take a screenshot of it, you can. This is what I gave before. If you look in the Old Testament, you will find lots of ways that Jesus is hinting back. So like if you're the hard soil... If if I have hard soil, what do I do? Well, Hosea chapter 10, verse 12 says, to break up the hard heart, the hardness of your heart. How do you do that? Sow righteousness. The word righteousness in Hebrew means to sow justice or generosity. You want to break up the hardness of your heart? Be generous to other people. How many times have I told you, when I get bad service, I tip more. Why? Because I believe it's a biblical concept. In order to keep my heart from getting hard, I am going to be generous to those that don't deserve it. I'm going to be kind to those that don't deserve it. Why? Because that breaks up the hard ground of my heart. Well, how do you know you have hard ground? I I don't know, but I don't want to. And so, sowing generosity, kindness, radical forgiveness... All of those things are what break up the hardness of our hearts. So you can go through all of the different soils. You can find all of that. Um, What does it mean? But I want to look at the good soil. This is all I want to talk about today. This good soil. Where is it pointing to in the Scripture? With all of these other soils, you can find lots of Scriptures. I'm not saying this is exactly where they're pointing. This is a guess. Okay? Could be pointing here. You're supposed to work this out in a community, in a group. But when it comes to the good soil... This good soil that produces a hundredfold, a hundred times what was planted. Now, some translations will say that it, it, the good soil produced 30, 60, 100 times. Well, that would be a wrong translation because the, the, it should be 160, 30. Why, why would we put 100 first? Because that's what Jesus wants you to hear, hundredfold, hundred times, Where do we find this in the scripture? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 26. There is only one other time in this entire scripture where we see a hundred times. A hundred times. Genesis chapter 26, Isaac, okay, his father's passed away. He's in the land that God has called him to. And it says in, in chapter 26, verse 1, there was a famine. Besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. Remember when there was a famine for Abraham? Do you remember where Abraham went? Egypt. Doesn't say God told him to go to Egypt. He went to Egypt. All kinds of problems when he went to Egypt, if you remember. Okay? So Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live Ah, uh, I should have used a different translation. Many translations say, stay. Stay in the land where I tell you to live. Stay. But it's a famine. It's, why would I stay where there's a famine? Why would I stay where there's opposition? Why would I stay where it's hard? Why would, it, why would I stay where I'm not appreciated? Why would I stay? Why? <laughs> Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you. There's going to be opposition, but I will be with you. I mean, do you hear the words of Jesus all over this thing? I do. I love it. I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. Stay become the people who put me on display. Become a people of radical generosity. Become a people of radical love, of radical f- forgiveness. This is the mission. Stay with the mission, is what he's telling, he's telling Isaac. We've made the mission, oh, let's just hang on till Jesus comes. <laughs> we are to do what Isaac was supposed to do. The people of God were put in that land to put God on display to the nations. That mission is our mission. Jesus has called us, come follow me. Put me on display. When you go to work, put me on display. When you go with your friends and you play pickup basketball, put me on display. When you go play bingo with your friends, put me on display. It's not about just doing churchy things. It's about being the people of God in the center of this community. That's what we're called to do. Stay. Be a blessing to the nations. Now, Isaac didn't do it perfectly. Oh, no, 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 no. He lied about Rebekah being his sister, just like his father had done. He got caught in that lie. Again, it's not about perfection. It's about progress. And he's making progress. It's just about staying with the mission. Now look at this, verse 12. Same chapter. Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year, that year of famine, reaped a hundredfold. Can I tell you something? A hundredfold is impossible. I mean, Jewish scholars will say, you can't reap a hundredfold. It's an impossible harvest. But the point is, it's like the maximum harvest you could ever possibly ever receive. Nothing could ever be better than this harvest. So what God is saying is, I am able. Now, did Isaac really reap a hundredfold? I don't know. And I don't care. Because the statement God is making is, I can do anything you need, anywhere you are. If it's hard, I'm there. And I can give you whatever you need plus. Now, as we start doing this, maybe you won't get a hundredfold. Maybe you'll get 60. Maybe you'll get 30. But if you stay, you're going to get something. And the guy that got five talents and and multiplied it, well done. The one that got a little bit less, well done. The one that didn't do anything, not so good. So again, it's not about, oh, I didn't get a hundredfold. It's not about the hundredfold. It's about staying in the land knowing that God is the God of a hundredfold. Man, he's the God of provision. So Isaac starts digging wells or starts trying to open up these wells, and he, well, I, I, should, I should read it, sorry. The man became rich. His wealth continued to grow. He became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds, the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham. Who dug them? Abraham. Whose wells are they? Abraham's. The Philistines stopped them up, filling them with earth. So Abimelech says, move away from us. You've become too powerful for us. <laughs> So Isaac starts digging up, like, unstopping these wells, and then they argue with him. They're like, that's our well. And he's, it's clearly Abraham's well. But Isaac does not defend it. He doesn't demand his rights. He doesn't fight them. He just goes and he reopens another well. I'm not saying Isaac is a wimp. I'm not saying Isaac is a doormat. But Isaac is entrusting himself to God. He is going to find where God wants him to go, and if he digs up a well and there's a quarrel there, he's moving to the next place. Sometimes when there's opposition, you just move a little bit, but you stay within where God has called you to go. So then we come to verse 22. He dug another well. No one quarreled. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in this land. And from there he went to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am, what, again, with you. I will bless you. I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So Isaac built an altar there, called on the name of the Lord. He pitched his tent. There his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come from Gerar, his personal advisors with him. And Isaac says what all of us are thinking. Why have you come to me? You were hostile to me and you sent me away. Listen to this. He said, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, There should be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did you no harm, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. Now you are blessed by the Lord. From the mouths of Gentiles... Isaac is blessed from the Lord. Why? Staying power. Staying power. Fighting the right battles. This is, oh, this is so important. So then look what Isaac does. He made a feast for them. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other and he sent them away peacefully. I believe the message of the good soil. A message. May not be the only message. I believe, because Jesus is remezing, pointing us back here, is a willingness to stay on mission in spite of difficulty, opposition, fatigue, even at personal cost. That's how we are good soil. We just stay. We stay. The absolute fullest kingdom potential comes when we just stick it out, when we stay faithful to the mission. And it doesn't matter if we ever see a hundredfold or 60-fold or 30-fold. We trust the mission because it is what he said to do. It is how Jesus lived. Can I, can I draw you to, to the, the different soils for a second again? The good soil never springs up quickly. The rocky soil springs up quickly. The thorny soil springs up quickly. And you know what we want? We always want quick. God told me to go talk to this person at work, and so I expected, you know, something quick. Are you okay with it being just a seed? Yeah, well, you say, see, but, but sometimes people pray, and it, it, ha- it does happen quick. And I would argue that there have been seeds sown in that soil, and there's a root system that enabled it to, blo- to bloom quickly. It didn't just bloom quickly. When Jesus went to Nazareth, he could perform very little miracles because there was no faith. There was no root system. You understand? It couldn't spring up at all. It couldn't even spring up quickly. But he went to some places, like Capernaum, and it sprung up quickly. But then he pronounced a curse over them and said, hey, you're not recognizing it. Yeah, it sprang up quickly, but you're not latching on to what you need to latch on to, and it's actually going to be better for Sodom than it is for you. Because they would have repented if they saw what you saw. Wow, that's a harsh thing. So just because something springs up quickly, eh, that might not be good soil. We stay on the mission. This is what Jesus did. He emptied himself. He took on the nature of a servant. He became obedient to death on the cross. And by his death, brought life to everyone. By his death, he disarmed all spiritual forces. And the apostle Paul says to us in Romans 12, 21, you want to overcome evil by doing good. But oh, Pastor Tom, I know. Look at verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Pastor Tom, are you saying we're supposed to be doormats? No, not doormats. Jesus clearly said, I have the power to lay my life down, and I have the power to pick it up again. You can't do anything to me that I don't give you the authority to do. That doesn't make me a doormat. That actually makes me pretty strong in the kingdom. And it's hard. Man, it's hard. And if you try to do this without sitting at the table of intimacy, you won't make it. You won't. There's only so much willpower. I'm a stubborn guy. I can make it a long way. I promise you. But I can't make it far without him. If I don't sit at the table of intimacy, I'll fight back. I'll get crabby. I'll take sarcastic jabs. I'll do it. But if I sit at the table of intimacy, I'll learn to entrust myself to him, and I don't need to speak for myself. I don't need to retaliate. This passage from 1 Peter starts with, Jesus Christ suffered for you, follow in his steps. What? Follow in his steps? I thought he suffered so we wouldn't have to. He did suffer for your sin so you wouldn't have to. But the call of the kingdom is to lay our lives down. I'll prove it to you. Do we still have time? Oh yeah, we still got time. I can prove it to you. Because here's the verse that I've really been digging into uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Romans 8, 28. You know, God's going to work all things for my good. Praise God. All things. He's gonna, God is going to work all things for my good. Here's what I found. That's a poor translation. I put the revised standard version on the screen. Let's l- read it together. You don't have to read it out loud. Just watch as I read it. We know that in everything... God works for good with those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. Now, you've probably heard God works for good for those. For those. I mean, God is doing the work on our behalf. He is manipulating all the situations of the world. It's like the tapestry. On the one side, it's chaos, but on the other side, He's making a beautiful picture, and someday my life is going to look good. I don't want to say that that's not the case, because God does that. I mean, I've seen him do it. I've seen him take some of the craziest, messiest, ugliest scenarios and bring something beautiful out of it. He can do it. But what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8 is he's calling you and I to submit ourselves to the Lord and to accept our vocation to work with him for the good. That needs to be established, the kingdom that needs to be established. And sometimes my circumstances might not work out for good. At least the way I want. Sometimes it'll be that I have to give up something so that someone else can experience life. Now, I I I want you to know God is able to do more than what you should ask or need that he is a good father that wants to give good gifts to his children that you should always 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 stay in hope and keep asking i'm not telling you to stop praying for the miracle in fact keep praying for the miracle cuz it's in the book but even though he slay me yet will i praise him i have i have met people that have asked me the question how can anything good come from this there's just not an answer it 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 maybe isn't supposed to. It's okay to just lament in that moment. In fact, Romans chapter 8, when you read it, lament is a part of it. People who have lost spouses and lost jobs and lost kids and lost reputation and lost marriages. Like, sometimes there's loss. There's a cost associated for coming into the kingdom and following. It's hard, but he's with us. He's with us. The word, the Greek word that's in this passage, I'm not, even, I'm not going to try to pronounce it because it's a hard one and there it is. It's on the screen. This is what it means, to engage in an activity together with someone else, to work together with, to be active together with. That's what it means all the time, all the time, every other place. But in Romans chapter 8, I found scholars are nervous because they don't want us to think that we, we do anything to add to our salvation. And when you put the word with, it seems like that it adds to our salvation. Like, but Romans chapter 8 isn't about your salvation. It's about your va- vocation. It's about your calling to be the people of God, to work with him to establish good on the earth. And sometimes that good that we have to establish comes through tears. Sometimes that good comes through shedding of our blood. How many missionaries have gone overseas and were willing to to give everything? They lost their lives, never getting anything in return. Here. Only there. And that spouse who never got anything back, who had to walk through their life, that, that daughter that had to walk down the aisle with someone that wasn't her father, there's a cost sometimes. And I have friends that have paid that cost. And sometimes you wonder, God, why? And in the middle of Romans 8, creation is groaning. And the Spirit is groaning. And you know what you and I ought to be doing? Sometimes just groaning for things to be made right. Like we ought to look around and instead of just saying, oh, someday God's going to make it right, we ought to just start groaning, God, make it right. Make it right. And sometimes laying down our lives to help make it right. Romans 8 is all about suffering and glory. Suffering and glory. Read read the chapter of Romans 8. We don't have time to go through it today. Creation is groaning. Spirit is groaning. He is helping us to groan for restoration of the world. Glory, I don't believe in Romans chapter 8. Glory is about being shiny. I don't think it's about us being like, like these people that walk around with happy faces. And I think glory is about going back to Eden and being restored to the covenant that Adam and Eve, the commission, the calling that was on their lives. What was on their lives? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, build a culture of my kingdom on the earth. But what did Adam and Eve do? They chose what was better for themselves, not what was best for the kingdom. And Jesus came and showed us, this is how you do the kingdom. This is how you do it. I have never met someone that gave gave all for the kingdom and has regretted it. I bet if we could line up the 11 apostles and then the apostle Paul and said, hey guys, do you have any regrets? None of them would say, oh, we wish we would have held back more. And yet every single one of them except John was martyred and they tried to kill... I, I don't know. We think John lucked out because he didn't get martyred, but he had three times they tried to kill him. They tried to boil the guy alive, and he survived. I'd be like, just kill me. <laughs> I mean, that might be better than the suffering that I'd have to endure. We are called the same way, to live at the crossroads of the earth as God's people for the benefit of all nations. We're to strive for full restoration. 2 Corinthians 13 11, strive for full restoration has become a key verse for us. Now I know that full restoration only comes when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth a second time. And yet the Apostle Paul still says strive for full restoration. Stay on mission. As a church, I think we're called to stay at the crossroads of this city, and put him on display. How ironic that we purchased a property that if you look at a map at 3rd and Dakota is literally almost dead center of the city. It's not about just having a, a building where we can do church the way we've always done church. It's about starting to do life with people in our community. It's about having activities that we can do side by side with, with unbelievers with things that we can do. We're willing to invest an extreme amount of money for the benefit of our community. Why? Because we want to live, we want to build a culture that's a kingdom culture. This is what we're doing. We we need to start thinking so differently. I I promise you, over the last five years, there's been times that I've wondered if I was crazy. Like, am I crazy? Am I crazy? And there are times today, I, I mean, I've been in that building so many times since October 31st, it still stinks so bad. <laughs> but I tell you, there's, there's something about that building. It, it's not the building, but it's about where we're headed as a people. But I don't want us to think that we're going to move in there and be what we were there. That's not who we are anymore. And I don't know that every church needs to do what we're doing. I think too many churches, we just copy what everybody else is doing. And I think God has put something in our hearts to, to work for the peace and prosperity of our city. But, but here's the thing. The challenges ahead are going to be stronger than the challenges behind. This is why we need staying power. Look at a couple of verses. i still got time. Praise the Lord. Acts chapter 20. Some of you are like, you should just stop right now. No, a couple verses, I promise. Paul says in Acts 20, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I mean, do you think that that guy wrote, God is going to work all things for your good (laughs) he didn't he's a good God he never punishes his children unnecessarily any punishment he doles out is discipline to help us Okay, but sometimes he knows the only way a city can be reached is for someone to shed blood and sometimes it's just blood sweat and tears Are we going to be the people willing to be those people? Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body. (laughs) Really glad? For I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for His body, the church. I know, these are... Bless you, Sermon. You're going to walk out of here today just on fire. (laughs) Philippians 1. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Philippians 4. Here's the promise. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. See, staying power is about knowing that joy and peace and happiness do not come from circumstances. They come from the internal reality that I'm on mission for Him. And people that, that, that focus on just the need alone, again, Pray for your needs. Absolutely. But when we focus on, I can't serve until this need gets met, you'll never serve. Uh, Enough needs will never get met. There will always be something next. We have to become a people that says, with one arm, I'll serve. (laughs) I didn't even plan to say that. (laughs) We have to be those kind of people that say, you know what? I can't give 110% today, but I'll give what I have. I don't have a million dollars, but I'll put what I have in. And Jesus said that the widow who gave two pennies gave more than anyone else. It's not about the big. It's about faithfully moving forward. And sometimes you just need to drag yourself forward because otherwise you're going to start going backwards. If you don't crawl forward, you'll go backwards. Staying power. I have been in Huron for 26 years. I have not lived perfectly. I've not been the perfect pastor. In fact, I, I wondered, why didn't we do this like when I first started pastoring? And here's what I felt like the Lord said. <laughs> you weren't ready. You weren't ready. The people weren't ready. The city wasn't ready. Like there's a growing process sometimes that has to take place in, in our own character. And sometimes we just well, but Lord, everything I've learned, everything I've experienced, well, it's all in the book. Why couldn't I just like get it? Uh, Yeah, because you got to experience it. And then you get it. You grow. You learn. I'm not implying that anyone who moves is in the wrong, but I promise you there are some kingdom things that can only happen through time. And I want to start telling a generation of ministers that are coming up that if you, if you just give your life, just go into a city and say, I'm going to give my life to this city. Unless God clearly, because uh, here's what, we get frustrated, we get tired, we send out 50 resumes. Oh, the Lord opened a door. Wasn't hard for him to open, was it? <laughs> I mean, you sent out 50 resumes. But if you give yourself to a place, Like, you can experience things that sometimes just take 25 years to germinate. They do. There's just no other way. But some of you, what do I do? Well, you stay in your marriage. What? We somehow get this idea that if we have scriptural grounds to divorce... That we, we must divorce. I mean, they cheated on me, so I have scriptural grounds. You don't have to leave. I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. Please don't misunderstand me. But sometimes when you, you're just willing to stay, you're going to get a harvest that you can't get any other way. When we stay faithful to a job, I mean, just because God opens an opportunity that's more money or more whatever, it doesn't always mean it's Him. Make sure it's Him. Don't just choose the path of least resistance and think that it's God's blessing because more money and maybe more uh, prestige or more power actually can lead you away from Him. You've got to know what He's saying. Be faithful to commitments. Oh, but Pastor Tom, it got hard. It does. It does. There was opposition. Oh, there was devastation. Man, go back and listen to Rochelle's message. I just got tired. I know. But he's with you. He's with you. And the only way to learn the secret of contentment in hard places (laughs) is to be in a hard place. Don't you wish you could just wave your hand over people's lives and just make everything better? It's so funny. During prayer today, someone just prayed, wave your hand over me. <laughs> and I was like, I wish we could. Man, I just wish, I wish we could just wave our hand over all kinds of things. But maybe this just needs to start breaking our heart to the point where we let the Spirit groan with us. Oh, set things right. Set things right. If I need to lay down my life so that the abused and the abuser come to know you, let me be willing to do that. Let me be willing to give my life for the one that definitely doesn't deserve it. That people would question, why would you ever lay down your life for that one because they matter. Like, these, this is the kind of church that we're going to be. And maybe it's an important message for today because if you don't want this, <laughs> you'll find another church. I want all of you. I want everybody because I think this is so kingdom and I think we could turn this city upside down. But it's going to be a challenge. What is in front of us is going to to test us way more than anything that was behind us. I promise you that. But he's with us. He's with us. I want to read one last scripture and a quote, and then I'm going to pray. I think we need to learn to come to a place where we just trust the radical the radicalness of the kingdom. Radical generosity, radical forgiveness, selflessness, it all moves the kingdom forward. Jesus tells two parables in Matthew 13 right after the parable of the soils. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. By the way, did you know that mustard plants are noxious weeds? Yeah, I didn't know that. So who would plant mustard seeds nobody like they're weeds the kingdom of God is always counterintuitive when you start doing kingdom people are going to look at you and say why would you do that well he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose though it's the smallest of seed yet when it grows it becomes the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree can I tell you something else Mustard bushes, mustard plants never become trees. That's not how it works. So, what's Jesus doing? He's pointing them back to Ezekiel because the birds that are going to come and rest on them are the birds representing the nations. Wow, that is something. I mean, yes, there is a mustard tree, but a mustard bush never becomes a tree. Jesus is saying, you, you trust my kingdom. You just keep doing it. It'll start small, but you'll, you'll get, it'll become so big that all of the nations will come and perch in your branches. So then he told them another parable in verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. <laughs> Sin is like yeast. There's a reason that during the Passover they don't have unleavened bread or they have unleavened bread. Why yeast? Well, again... The kingdom is counterintuitive. It's not sinful, but it's going to go against what's up here. A woman took it and mixed it into about 60 pounds of flour. Do you know how much bread you can make with 60 pounds of flour? It's insane. You know what the remez is for this? Go all the way back to Abraham when he has three visitors that come to tell him that Sarah is going to have a child. And Sarah, for three visitors, take 60 pounds of flour to feed them. How much are they going to eat? That's a lot of bread. It's radical generosity in the heart of Abraham, which I believe is why he was chosen, because that's who he was. Jesus is saying it starts small, but that yeast will permeate the whole dough. Here's here's a quote one of my favorite quotes and then I'll pray small acts of radical generosity will start something that is counterintuitive and unstoppable and it will bless others especially the outcasts and outsiders when you plant mustard seed you can't get rid of it you might as well nuke it when you put yeast in bread you can't separate it it's going to take over if you trust the mission It'll do its thing. Just stay faithful. And so, Father, give us the grace that we need. This is a hard word. I think of your disciples that said, This is a hard word. Who can accept it? It is hard. But, God, you are with us. And there is nothing that you cannot do. God, I thank you for this body of believers that are crazy enough to step into the unknown that we're about to step into to put ourselves on display in the crossroads of this city. And God, in times of frustration, in times maybe when we're tired, in times when we're confused, help us to remember that you're with us. Give us the wisdom that we need to do life at the crossroads of this city in a way that brings kingdom to the city of Huron. God, help us to live this out in our marriages, in all of our relationships, in our workplaces, in every commitment we've made. God, I pray for those that today maybe have walked away from a commitment. And Holy Spirit, you're you're highlighting right now, calling them back to that commitment. Give them grace to do it. God, maybe there are those of us in this room that have given our yes where we shouldn't have given our yes. Help us to be willing to have the courage to give a no. To know when the prison doors open because we need to walk out and when the prison doors open because we need to be on mission. Holy Spirit, we need your wisdom for that. So show us, teach us, continue to mold us and shape us into the image of your son help us to be a people in the crossroads of the city living for your glory we pray it in Jesus name amen if you need um, if you want prayer today before you leave maybe there's a situation you're facing and you're like man I could just use someone to pray with me um, prayer team will be here uh, we'll pray with you before you leave we want to give you that opportunity if you want to pray by yourself, You can use the chair you're at. You can use the chairs here. Um, Don't feel like you have to rush out. I know it's 1130. Thank you for being patient with me. You always are. God love you. And so don't forget to stop by the table as well. And please, please, please don't forget to fill out your consent to text form so that we can stay in touch with you uh, with pertinent information. Thanks for being here today. God bless you as you go.